Verse 14, chapter 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light and darkness? Or what harmony has Christ and Belial? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Many Christians know this text and they don't apply it. Those who try to apply it, apply it incorrectly. And yet when I look at this text, this Actually, verse 14 is the essence of it. Is It's foundational to ministry. Foundational to the Christian life. Whoever you are. Wherever you are. And in this text, Paul gives us five reasons. He gives us five commands. He gives us five motives to obey. And, 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 and I've watched this. We've been in this text for a while. But, but, but I've watched it get perverted and misused. It has nothing to do with being married to an unbeliever. It has nothing to do with becoming monastic, meaning separate from the society. It has nothing to do with your job. It has nothing to do with um, your place in society, your economic structure, uh, your education or anything like that. None of that has anything to do with this text. This text, in its essence, is dealing with Religion. Okay, listen. Let me let me lay out something here. The one thing that gets me in the most trouble these days. Okay, and it gets me in trouble over and over and over and over and over again. Okay, people will tell me that they are saved. Okay, and I always ask them the same question: How do you know? Okay. Um, and, and people, what do you mean, how do I know? Just a simple question. Something as important as salvation, I would think there would be a way to know. Okay? Listen. Let me tell you how you know. Okay? Biblically. Okay? I don't want to hear that the hair stood up on your neck, or you had a burning in your bosom. Or I had a shadow thing. Brothers and sisters, I have heard so many. You're just sitting there going, really? Okay, I should write a book on the deception that people believe that they are saved. Anyway. Faith in Christ. Saving faith in Christ. Leads to a total transformation of a person's entire being. If that has not happened... You ain't saved. Okay? You are, Paul told us in chapter 5, a new creation. Old things have passed away. New have come. You live in an entirely different realm. Sphere. It is completely different from the untransformed. 
It is completely different than the unbelievers. Listen, let me see if I can be specific about this. Christians, true Christians. There's a lot of people talking that ain't going. Okay. Um, You know, I've run into people today that, you know, they tell me, well, I believe in God. And my response is always the same. How tall is he? What? I was just asking you, you believe in God. How tall is he? And it freaks them out. Christians, true Christians, have different thoughts. Okay? They have different values. They have different standards. They have different beliefs. They have different feelings. They have different principles. They have different motives. They have different goals. They have different attitudes. They have different hopes. We Christians look at life with entirely a different perspective than lost people. Okay? The difference, to say the least, is radical than lost. So when the Apostle Paul says, what partnership can you have? What fellowship can you have? What harmony can you have? What agreement can you have with unbelievers? Relationships with unbelievers, at best, hear what I'm saying, at best, for a believer is superficial. We may share some external things. I like motorcycles. So do unbelievers. Okay? You may live in a common country. You may live in a common neighborhood. You may even have a common gene pool. Some people would call that family. You may have a common job. You may have common hobbies. You may have common likes and dislikes. But when it comes to depth, the deep inside things, the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is radical. It's not just radical. It's in opposition. They don't get along. A believer and an unbeliever are opposed to each other. Alright? So, at best, it's going to be superficial. Listen, two believers... Those who are truly transformed, those who are truly saved, Jesus Christ is God, Savior, Lord, Master, the object of all love. He is the only one worthy of any worship. Non believers? Jesus Christ is a man, perhaps a myth, 
a story. An unbeliever's indifference to him and disobedient to him. A believer is living to the glory of God in everything. An unbeliever is living for self. Every one of them. Self directs life. To a believer, Christ directs life. Okay? That right there limits your relationship. You can't, you can't make those two come together. I'm talking about an absolute inability that believers and non-believers in sharing in anything that has to do with worship, that has to do with ministry, that has to do with teaching, that has to do with evangelism. Can't do it. It's impossible. Not only is it impossible, it is a command from God, don't. Now, part of me says, this should be obvious. (laughs) But I've learned that obvious is maybe not. But it isn't, it isn't that we don't may play together. You go to the mall to do some shopping, I bet you are going to run into some unbelievers. Just an idea. Just an idea. Okay? You know what? You may even sit down and eat with an unbeliever. You may even work with unbelievers. Okay? And you may even have a level of friendship with unbelievers. But you know what? I cannot have partnership with an unbeliever. I cannot have fellowship with an unbeliever. I cannot have harmony with an unbeliever. There is no common ground. They are in opposition. The Corinthians were trying. They were trying to have one hand in the world and one hand in the church. God said that they were just sinning. See, the... And I see this on a regular basis. The Corinthians were going to idol feast thinking, I can win some. Chapter 10 of this letter, the Apostle Paul says, what are you doing at the table of demons? Well, that sounds unloving and uncaring. I mean, you know, maybe they're just deceived. That's fine, but they're still at the table of demons. False religion is run by Demons. You have Christ or Satan's. I don't care what you call it. You can hang any name on it you want. If it is based on works, it's demonic. That seems mean and cruel. In an age of tolerance, can't we just get along? No. We're in opposition. Even possible, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's possible that there were some in the church taking of the priestesses. Perhaps they were trying to sway them. They were joining Christ to a harlot. And they were coming to worship after joining Christ to a harlot. They were being involved in false worship. And that's bad enough. I mean, right there you'd think, that's that's nuts. 
Okay? But one of the things that I've watched happen throughout history, you guys know I have this fatal flaw. I love history. I've seen this over and over and over and over and over again, is that they were opening the church to the false religion. When we were asked to start working in Russia, uh, Yuri Sipko was the president of the Baptist Union at that time. And he says, I want you to help us to put a fence of sound doctrine around each church. I mean, I'm into that. <laughs> okay. And yet today in America, the church is open to false religion. The church in America today is open to false teaching. And what happens is, is that once you open that door, some in the church who are weak will follow the false teachers. They're saved. They're naive. The church in Corinth was violating the command. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, like I said, to me, this seems obvious. Okay. It is straightforward. I mean, it's not like Paul's. Let me see if I can subtly seek this in here. And you know what? Throughout the history of the bride of Christ, the church has missed this. They don't pay attention to this. And the church willingly embraces and opens the doors to false teacher. Paul told Timothy that when you do that, it is like gangrene. Uh, first funeral I ever went to as a child was a great uncle. And he had lost both of his legs to gangrene. Okay, he was a diabetic that just didn't pay attention. But anyway, he lost both legs. Even at the day of his funeral, you could smell it, the gangrene. Okay, I'll never forget that smell. And every time I read that in scriptures, it eats like gangrene. That's the first thing that comes to my mind is that smell. Now, the only thing I can describe it is, is it smells like rotting flesh. Okay, it is distinct. I'll give you that. And there's too many in the church today who are gangrenous. Paul told Timothy, it will shipwreck the faith. And to this day, the doors seem to be wide open. It's funny because you'll hear people quarreling over spiritual gifts. Okay, and people will say, well, you're in a Baptist church. Do you believe in spiritual gifts? People, people, people. Yes, I believe in spiritual gifts. Which ones? All of them. But you know what? I've heard them fight over about every gift that you can think of. And I've never heard anybody even discuss one that I believe is the least exercised gift on the planet. You know what it is? Discernment. Discernment. It's supernatural empowerment to discern. Why? You know how I discern? That smells like gangrene. Well, that doesn't sound loving. You should smell it. 
I, I don't understand why don't we know. Hold it up to the light of Scripture. What does it say? Well, but that's not compassionate. No, that is compassion. That is love at its greatest stand. Church today, and, and, and it's so simple to see. I, don't, I, I believe I have the gift of discernment. So perhaps that's why it's so simple for me to see. The church today is trying harder than ever to embrace the culture. I've never seen anything like it. A pastor comes to me and says, we've got a Saturday night service. We're turning the lights down low and the music up loud. Dude, I was doing that in the 60s. <laughs> it wasn't church. What? You want to be a bar? Is that what we're doing? What are you trying to embrace here? The church is trying to, and I hear this, we need to redefine ourselves. Really? Really? The bride of Christ needs to redefine herself. And you know what I've learned is? The church wants unbelievers to feel comfortable. I have one word that describes that. Nuts. That's insane. I have never heard the beat. I watched liberal theologians and Catholics, and they're all joined together because we're going to evangelize the city. Really? How are we going to do that when we have nothing in common and we're in opposition? We're going to link together with demonic teaching. Perfect. So you see what I'm trying to get at? This is kind of important. Listen, I have been around people in, in my ministry who came out of Catholicism. And you sit and you talk to them and they have a love for Jesus Christ. They have a love for his word. And you think, wow, this is kind of cool. All right. And I said, well, where are you going to church? At the Catholic Church. What? How can you do that? Well, you know, I'm trying to reach more. Well, wait, 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 wait. The Bible says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. I remember when Mormons would never call themselves Christians. They were Mormons. You know what they call themselves now? Christians. I remember when the Roman Catholics would not call themselves Christians. They called themselves Catholics. What do they call themselves now? Christians. They're not. I know I'm such a meanie. But they're not. Not only are they not, I can't be bound with them. I can't be yoked with them in a common enterprise. If it has to do with the eternals, I can't do it with them. 
I can't do it with them. Not only that, we should leave immediately. Do not be bound. The context here is spiritual. When it comes to the act of worship, when it comes to the act of teaching, when it comes to the act of evangelism, when it comes to the act of ministry, no! It's not negotiable. You don't even get close to it. Those evangelicals who want to embrace the culture and make it feel comfortable? I watched the other day on a news program. The religious minds are sitting there. Great religious minds. A Catholic great religious mind. A rabbi religious mind. There was an evangelical religious mind. And they all agreed now that science has proven creation was done by evolution. Really? Science proved that? When did science prove that? When did they prove that? But they're all sitting there. Yes. We've proved it. Then you know what? God of the Bible's a liar. You can't say that. Yeah, I can. Because if he did it through evolution, that means death became before sin. He said sin came and then death showed up. Which is it? I can't join with those people. Can't be a part of that. Embrace false teaching. What happens? You're done. You're shipwrecked. You will start smelling that smell that I told you about. Rotting flesh. Gangrene. And you know what? You've got to understand something. Paul warned Timothy that they will heap to themselves teachers that tickle their ears. Tell me that that ain't what's going on. Because if that ain't what's going on, oh, Lordy. It's going to get worse. I've never seen anything like it. The heart of this text is verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked. Some of your translations may say. Do not be bound together. Comes out of Deuteronomy 22. Why? You can't put a donkey and an ox together and cut a straight line. You know what? That makes sense. It'd be kind of funny to watch. (laughs) But you still ain't going to cut a straight line. My grandpa used to take a donkey. If he had a horse that was an idiot, he would take a donkey and tie it to its tail and it would quit being an idiot by noon. Okay? Because the horse couldn't kick the donkey because it's right there on its tail and the donkey would pull on its tail and that would hurt. And if that didn't work, the donkey would bite the horse on the butt. So the outcome was already predetermined. And I kept thinking, put an ox and a donkey together. That'd be a blast. It would be a YouTube sensation. And I'm going to say, this is what it looks like when a Protestant and a Catholic try to cut a straight line. And they put the donkey in. (laughs) Listen, there can be no godly end in this because it will corrupt. Okay, and what we've been looking at in verses 14 and 15, first and foremost, in four questions, he says it's senseless. 
Okay, righteous and lawlessness. Yeah, perfect. Light and dark. Oh, that was a mix well. Christ and Belial. Mm-hmm. Right on. Christ and Satan hanging out together. Believer and an unbeliever. Then he says it's idolatrous. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? I shared with you God's stance on idols. Which brings me to the third point. Common sense says you can't put demonic worship and the worship of the true living God together. Then he said there in verse 17, the first part of it, you see it's rebellious. It's rebellious. Look what he says. Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. He's quoting Old Testament so he could bring the word of God to bear on the teaching to the Corinthians. I understand this text, and as I look at it in the original language, it's a direct command. Therefore, if I do not do this, it is rebellion against God. Okay, that's what he says there. See how he starts it out in verse 17? Therefore... Therefore, since we are the temple of God, therefore, since God walks in us, therefore, we are God's own possession. Make a clean break. You are indwelt, Christian, by the living, almighty God. You are in constant communion with him by the Holy Spirit. Listen, you you don't have another option here. Separate. You know what's really cool about this? There is no gray area. It isn't like there's a loophole in here somewhere that, well, what does he mean by it? Nothing. He says don't. And, you know, it's been going on for a while. Isaiah speaks of it. Isaiah 52, verse 7. Listen to this, because you know this text, but I, I think there's times we forget part of it. I know we forget part of it. Verse 7, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news and announces peace. You know what that is, right? Preaching of the gospel. And brings good news of happiness. Announces salvation. That's the gospel, right? How lovely is that? How precious is that? are the feet of those who bring the gospel. All right, yeah. Verse 8. Listen, you watchmen, lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm inside of all the nations that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. We're preaching. The Savior is coming. Hallelujah. Look at verse 11. Depart. Depart. Go out from there. Touch nothing unclean. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves who are you who carry the vessels of the Lord. 
When the gospel is preached and the Savior is coming, what happens? Depart from the false. Depart, depart. Perhaps this is the text that's on Paul's mind when he writes 2 Corinthians. You cannot hold on to the old and grab a hold of the new. Can't do it. Come out. Isaiah's telling Israel, it's idolatrous, it's feasts, it's festivals. Make a clean break. Stop. You don't need the rituals. Come to the reality. In Corinth, you had the priestesses, you had drunkenness, you had gluttony. Just to be in that environment, you can't avoid the contamination. False worship and false teaching. What does it do to truth? It eats like gangrene. Make a clean break. Throughout history, from the moment of salvation, you must break from the false. You must. It doesn't mean you don't reach out to unbelievers. Okay? Remember, Paul says, I'm going to be all things to all men that I may save some. We seek that which is lost. It ain't got nothing to do with an unbelieving spouse. Sorry. Doesn't mean I'm leaving society. But it says, I am to break from any form of false religion. Anything. Break it. You know, I I watch people. I, I, I run into people who says, you know, I'm reading the Book of Mormon so I can understand what they believe. Well, that's foolish. It's senseless. Know what the Bible says and you'll see the corruption. I don't have to worry about it. Gee whiz, that's that's a piece of cake. I don't need to read the Book of Mormon. You know, people say, well, Terry, you said you read the Koran. I did. I did. Mm -hmm. Before I got saved. And I'll tell everybody the same thing. It's a redneck book. I don't have any other way to describe it. I mean, God doesn't commit, cut his head off. Well, that sounds pretty subtle. I mean, that's, that's what the Koran reads, you know, but I read the Koran. I read a lot of goofy religious books before I got saved. I wouldn't waste my time on them now. Break from any form of false religion. Do not participate in it, nor allow it to come alongside as if we are accepting of it. Do you understand that? I got into trouble. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to probably get some more emails. But anyway, promise keepers. I met with the pastor who was the head of the promise keepers. He wrote a book called Hippo in the Garden. Okay. Then I found out this guy is considered liberal in the vineyard church. Well, there you go. Okay, he wrote a book called Hippo in the Garden. He believed that the hippo was the Holy Spirit and the garden was the church. And he says God had shown him what was going on. And he called it the anointing of the blue guitar. Okay, and that God was going to do away with pastors, evangelists, and teachers and was going to empower musicians so that the gospel would go forth in music. He said he had tried it with Elvis 
Presley, but Elvis sort of bit the Hollywood bug, and so he withdrew the anointing on Elvis, and so he gave it to the four lads from Liverpool. And as usual, they got into some LSD and pot and stuff like that. So he withdrew that. So he's trying to find somebody who would be faithful, that he could give the anointing of the blue guitar. He would do away with pastors, teachers, and evangelists, and he would take over. And you want me to partner with them? Really? No. Someone telling me that God's changing his Bible. All right. I'll go back for my first point. Senseless. Well, you're not going to be. No. I don't allow it. I don't participate in it. I don't want to come alongside something that is error as if I'm accepting of it. And you know what? I've learned that sometimes that offends people. But would I rather offend people or God? He says, do not be yoked with unbelievers. An unbeliever. Now listen, people say, well, then unbelievers don't come to church. I didn't. That ain't what that text says. Okay. But I will tell you this. True church will make an unbeliever very, very uncomfortable. That's not the purpose of the church. Listen, the purpose of the church is to hold account their sin. If the church is doing what it's supposed to do, an unbeliever is going to be extraordinarily uncomfortable. Let me show you another one. I want to show you this because I think there's times you're like, well, that Paul, you know, he kind of had his... Things weren't going quite right. He's in Ephesus and they were wanting to riot and all the rest. Okay. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. That sounds straightforward. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Ephesus is dealing with the same thing that the city of Corinth was. It was based on mysticism. It was based on debauchery. It was based on sexual immorality. And they did it all in the name of religion. And what he's saying is, don't be involved in that. Don't be a part of it. Get away from it. Have nothing to do with it. Break from it. Nothing to do with darkness. Do what is pleasing to the Lord. You know, I had a pastor one time tell me on this text. <laughs> I'm going to repeat it. <laughs> so there. He says, you're better off if you go to a bar. than you are a religious place proclaiming error. 
wow. Okay? And I take great stock in what this man has to say. And he says, you're better off if you go to a bar. See, our mind and our conscience is at stake when you get into false religion. It's like... uh, (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble again. Anyway, Christian colleges and seminaries. You know, I can count on one hand... The Christian colleges or seminaries that I would ever recommend to anybody. Why is that? If that college or that seminary is debating evolution, I want no part of it. Okay? If they are debating the authority of Scripture, I don't want no part of it. I would not recommend. And you know what? I can count two seminaries and two colleges that don't have that problem right now. Three seminaries. Sorry. Really? Really? Okay. But I've seen kids go to Christian colleges and come out absolutely confused. And you know what you're telling me? It's not a Christian college. I've watched seminaries produce men who believe that the gospel was added to by the earthly author and it's actually more simplistic than what the Bible teaches. Perfect. goes on this way for a while the book of revelations chapter 18 saw an angel coming down from heaven having great authority the earth was illumined with his glory and he cried out with a mighty voice saying fallen fallen is babylon the great she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her passion, of her, the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Okay, that's a religious system that the world has embraced that has become the dwelling place of demons. I heard a voice from heaven say, verse 4, Come out of her, my people. You will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. Sounds pretty serious. You remember Lot coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah? Had his wife, family? Get out. Get out. How bad was it? The homosexuality was so powerful there that they were willing to try to have sexual relations with an angel. And the angel blinded them so they could not see. And you know what they did? They tried to find their way to the angel anyway. They were told to leave. 
And they were leaving. Lot, his two daughters, and his wife. And what happened to his wife? She looked back. That's all she did. She looked back. God turned her into a pillar of salt. Come out, my holy people. Come out, my sanctified people. Come out, my set-apart ones. Come away from the defilement. We are light in a dark world, but we do not engage in false religious activities. We hold to the Scriptures. He has two verbs here. They're both imperatives. One is come out. One is be separate. Back to our text in 2 Corinthians. They are both, because it's an imperative and it's an action verb, it comes into the standard of this is a command. He's not asking please. He's not saying, hey, what do you think? He says it's a command. If you are in that situation, get out of it. Get out of it right away. Do not linger. Do not think that you have a purpose there. Do not think that you can overcome it. It goes back to Leviticus Chapter 20, beginning of verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, You shall say to the sons of Israel, Any man from the sons of Israel or any of the aliens sojourning in Israel who gives any of his offspring to Molech. Molech was a deity that was into child sacrifice. Surely be put to death and the people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will also set my face against the man who will cut, off, cut him off his, from among his people. That means to kill him. Because he has given some of his offspring to Molech. False religion. So as to defile what? My sanctuary. And profane my holy name. Verse 6, for as a person who turns to mediums and to spiritualists and to play the harlot after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. You shall consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Be holy. What does that mean? Be set apart. You're different. You are not your own. They profane my name, those who would try to do that. You see this through 21 and 22 of the book of Leviticus. Separate from all who are false. Separate from all of those who would follow a demon. Large or small, doesn't matter. Believers have always been told. Moses told them. Isaiah told them. Paul told them. Separate completely from the false religions and its environment. Anything that is not the truth of God, do not be bound with. And you know what is amazing to me? It abounds today. I've never seen anything like it. Claiming to be churches, they do, they're worshiping at the shrine of Satan. And you say, don't do that. Let me show you something. To go back to 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 4 and 5. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful 
for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do you understand we can't get along with these people if we're trying to destroy their fortress? (laughs) I'm not here to embrace them. I'm not here to appease them. I'm not here to even listen to their speculation. I am here to destroy it. Guys, you sound like a meanie. I am here to defeat human ideology. Blow it up. These fortresses we destroy because we are taking every thought captive to what? Obedience of Christ. I have no fellowship with these people if they're in this fortress and they're coming against Christ. We assail them. It's satanic speculations. Demonic ideologies. The pride of man. I attack with the word. The word is my spiritual weapon. Not to separate from that is rebellion. It's a violation of God's command. That's pretty impressive. He says, do not touch any unclean thing. Okay, it's the same word you see in 1 Corinthians 7 when it speaks of touching a woman for sensuality. It's the same word. Do not touch it in a carnal way. Same word you see used in 1 John 5.18 with the evil one touching. It, 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 the word there, do not touch an unclean, it, it, it's literally a, a carnal harmful touch. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Okay, now people say, well, gosh, that seems sort of narrow-minded, and it seems like, you know, how am I going to... There's a little letter that we need to read more of. Okay? All right? It doesn't even have a chapter in it. And yet, it's amazing that nobody knows what it says. Beginning at verse 4, Jude. Everybody says, well, who's Jude? That's easy. That's James' brother. You think I'm kidding? That's what it says right there. Jude, bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James. (laughs) I didn't have no problem figuring out who Jude was. All right. Verse 4 says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who have long beforehand marked out for condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Okay? They've been there. Now, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their dominion, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness of judgment to this great, of this great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh and exhibited as examples in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet, 
In the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Anybody here know people go wrestle demons? Brilliant. Okay, Michael didn't. Woe to them. Oops, sorry. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they do not know by instinct, like unreasoning animals by these things are destroyed. Verse 11, woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain and for pay. They have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden wreaths in your love feast, where they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carrying it along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead and uprooted, wild waves of the seas casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation of Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon them and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they had done in an ungodly way, harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers finding fault. Following after their own lust, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are saying to you, in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded Devoid of the Spirit. Pretty self-explanatory, really. But you, beloved, building yourselves up with your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some... Have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. That's real straightforward, people. I know that it doesn't sound that cheerful, but you're warned. I'm warned. This is going on and it continues to go on. You give the gospel to rescue people out of the fire. But you know what? Be real careful you don't get burned. That you don't get singed yourself. You understand that you don't even want to be around the garment that they are wearing. False religion will shipwreck your faith. It eats like gangrene. Now listen, I'm going to wrap this thing up. But I want you to think about something. Because I have watched this happen so many times. It breaks my heart. 
you think you can handle it. Many have thought they can handle it. Let me tell you something. You are absolutely dead wrong. The church cannot embrace, the church cannot touch the ungodly. First and foremost, it's disobedience to her Savior. Secondly, I guarantee you, I have never met a human being who has the ability to step into the demonic realm and do anything except be shipwrecked or eaten like gangrene. See, the false will accept a Christian. Open arms, tolerant, loving, and caring. A Christian can't. I cannot be bound with anyone or anything that denies the Word of God. Any aspect of the Word of God. I cannot engage with people who do not believe the truth in any spiritual enterprise. Cannot be a part of their worship. I cannot be a part of any of their ministries. I cannot be a part of their any evangelisms. Can't. If it's worship and teaching and evangelism or ministry, I can't do it. Here's why. It's so simple. The Lord has commanded it. He says, don't. Because if you do, it's rebellious. It's idolatrous. And it's senseless. Brothers and sisters, there is no greater serious issue with ministry right now than that text. Ministries fail all the time because they're not willing to to separate from false religion. We are to separate. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the amazing things you do. Father, let us heed this warning. Let us be warned, even as Jude warned us. Dangerous, and yet it is you who will keep us from stumbling. You will make us stand in the presence of your glory, blameless with great joy. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the amazing things you do. And yet, Father, as we who are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, every one of us who is truly saved, Father, help us. Help us understand the urgency of this text. And, Father, let us not fall into the deception that is all around us. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen.